We're continuing our study in the first Corinthians, and we are in chapter 11 right now. And last week we studied about a particular problem of women in the Corinthian church refusing to wear their veil during worship service. And this had a way of disrupting the traditional custom, not only in those days, but especially in the church, the early church. And today we're going to look at another problem, and that is that people tend to be callous in their attitude during the time of communion. And um, especially there was a a situation in which the well-to-do were showing disrespect to the poor. There was a class differentiation and discrimination going on during the very time of communion. And so we're going to be looking at this particular issue today. The passage for today is chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. And I've titled the message for today, Reverence and Honor. That we must show reverence to God and we must show honor to one another. I think these are very important concepts we need to be very much mindful of when we come together to worship the Lord. Let's read from verse 17 all the way to verse 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What have I to say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such a judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in such a way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment And when I come, I will give further directions. Let's go back to verse 17. 
all the way to verse 19. In the following directives, I have no praise for you for your meetings to more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Paul talks about this problem of divisions or schismata, which were related earlier in the earlier chapters related to the personality cults. Some were saying we are with Peter, we are with Apollo, and some were saying we are with Paul, you, and some were saying we are exclusively with Christ. And there was all these factions going on, personality cults going on. And then, of course, there was a division over the whole issue of food sacrifice to idol, whether we should eat them or not eat them. Now, in this particular context, we see some kind of snobbishness in the attitude of the wealthy regarding the Lord's Supper. This is the rich versus the poor type of story that Paul wants to relate to us. He says in verse 19, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You know the term differences here is in Greek, heresis, which is the word for heresies. No doubt there have to be heresies among you to show which of you have God's approval. Of course, he's not saying that He's advocating heresy, but he's saying that the term heresy, which has to do with the difference or selectivity or deviation. And this is the acid test for a genuine commitment to Christ and the body of Christ. Now, what is heresy? Have you ever thought about heresy? We know the heresy is wrong, right? Heresy has a way of dividing the good church. We usually understand heresy in contrast to orthodoxy. Orthodoxy simply says that there is a proper way of doing worship and proper way of understanding doctrine. And I would say one more uh, factor that has to do with lifestyle, proper way of living. That has to do with orthodoxy. But heterodoxy or heresy has to do with Deviating from that. In other words, there are differences now as a result of some kind of errant type of teachings. So when I usually talk about heresy, I usually talk about heresy in several terms. First of all, doctrine. There are doctrinal heresies. We must be orthodox in terms of our, of our theology. And then there's the heresy that has to do with idolatry, the things that we adhere to. We give our hearts too. So there's the heresy of idolatry. And then there is the heresy that has to do with our lifestyle. And that is the heresy of immorality, an unethical way of operating. And what Paul is saying is that this situation has clearly differentiated between those who are in the right and those who are in the wrong. And he's saying sometimes it's good that this happens, when before we would have never known who are on the right and who are in the wrong. For example, even heresy. 
You know, in the church, if there's heresy that is being proclaimed and people are so deceived into embracing that, then we know very clearly those who are deceived. Those who, who didn't have the theology in the right. I was really surprised in the previous church that I was in. I was serving as a pastor of English congregation. And there, I thought, because the church emphasized the traditional Reformed theology, and they are very much advocates of Calvin theology, I thought everyone was, you know, pretty sound in their theology. Until the faction happened. And then, then the, there were teachings that were aberrant, teachings that were not proper. In other words, they were using biblical text to support their own perspective of things, and they were using that to bash the other side. When that started happening, and all these people who were truly godly and reformed, siding with this, I was blown away by that. How could that be possible? Well, it's possible because they haven't been tested. They've been just taught doctrines. They've been indoctrinated. They've been brainwashed. But finally, they have an opportunity to see the proper teaching and see the improper teaching. And some of them, sad to say, sided with the improper teaching. And so this is what Paul is saying. Sometimes this is the acid test. Some wrong teachings or wrong ways of operating has to come into the midst to test out the whole congregation, to see who are in the right, who are truly pure, and who are going to walk the deviated way anyway. And so what is this schism that was happening in this church? Well, let's look at verses 20 to 22. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, what is Paul saying? And uh, most Christians are just reading this text given as it is, they're going to have a very difficult time trying to sort this out. Why are they doing this in the Lord's Supper? What's going on here? But the context, according to the scholar, is very simple. This is the context of what is known as the Agape Feast, which was very popular in those days. Love Feast. In other words, they come bringing their own food to celebrate. It's sort of like a potluck that we have. And then after they eat, then they take a portion of that and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. So it is part of the Lord's Supper, but it's sort of a preceding the former ceremony of the Lord's Supper. And Paul, in his opinion, in verse 20, he says, It is not the Lord's Supper you are eating. You're not doing this right. You're desecrating the Lord's Supper. This is not the attitude with which you come to the table of the Lord. What they were engaged in was not worthy to be called the Lord's Supper because they are not operating under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
So what were they doing? Well, it seems like people were bringing their own food, but uh, there are some people who didn't have much to bring. The poor, the slave population especially. And maybe they came to the church hoping to have a share of the food that those who were wealthy can certainly provide. Maybe they were hungry all throughout the week and they walk in here like the homeless, hoping that the church will provide. And that's the way it ought to be. But what was going on? The wealthy, they were bringing all this delicious food and they had a feast and they were sharing that with only their kins, only their cliques in the corner somewhere. And they were feasting away, they were full, and sometimes they were drinking and out of control and getting drunk. And all that right before the Lord's Supper. And the poor are watching this entire scene. And they're saying, wow, they got so much. Oh, here we have nothing. And some of them maybe felt offended by this whole thing. How could they treat us like this? They say, you know, church is equality. There is no difference between Greek or the Jews or free men or slaves and male or female. They're treating us like this. And they felt deeply offended in their hearts. So the real problem has to do with the callous insensitivity on the part of the wealthy. And they had no sense to see the needs of those who had so little. And they were humiliating the very members of the body of Christ that they were calling brothers and sisters during the time of worship and during the time of communion. In other words, there was hypocrisy. There was injustice. And therefore, we see, beginning with verse 23, Paul giving this teaching about the Lord's Supper, which we, oftentimes during the time of communion, we read this text. And we think it is simply a text that was handed down to us, that there was a tradition in those days, and it is. Because Paul says, For I received it from the Lord, what I am now passing unto you. And the word here is parelabong, received, and paradidetto, passed on. The tradition that we talked about last week. This is a tradition. It's sort of like an oral tradition. It's part of the custom of the, of the church now. We don't know whether he received these words directly from the Lord Jesus Christ after the Lord appeared to him in his resurrected form or whether he's talking about the apostolic tradition that was already there and he's just taking them for granted and he's just sharing with the Corinthian church. But he starts off by saying, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And he talks about betrayer. I wonder why he talked about that. I mean, of course, because that was a historic happening. Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. But he wanted to make that pronounced because right now there was a betrayer going on in the body of Christ. We may not be personally betraying the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are betraying His body in essence of what this communion is about. 
And so Paul is making sure that they really understand the essence of the Lord's Supper. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Very important terms here. Remembrance. Remember this. Covenant. Covenant. Proclamation of the Lord's death. These are heavy ceremonial words. And he's saying, when you're taking communion, you are remembering Him. You have to bring Jesus into this picture. You're not just going through some formality. This is not just religious exercise. It is referring back to that day when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And they were not that far removed like us 2,000 years later. You know, Jesus hadn't died that long ago. And the first Corinthians, the letter to the first Corinthians was relatively early. Not much time had passed. And yet we're forgetting Jesus. Remember. Jesus said, remember me. Remember me. This is my body. This is my blood. And this cup signifies that. And he says, this is a covenant in my blood. Covenant is a heavy theme amongst the Jews. And Paul is saying that this covenant he's making even with the Gentiles. Now you're all entering in into this covenant. Whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're freemen or slaves, men or women, Jews or Greeks, upper class or lower class, righteous men, sinners, doesn't matter. You're all coming in into this covenant by my blood. I shed my blood for this covenant that you're entering in with me and with each other. And he's saying this is a way of proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. And we know when the Corinthians, when they heard this word, that these words were so heavy that it must have somehow pierced their conscience, pierced their souls. This is what communion is about and what are you guys doing? You're desecrating the very essence of this communion. What Jesus died for, what His body was torn for, the very covenant that He was willing to Lay down his life for, and what are you doing to that covenant? And then we get to this very heavy words, beginning with verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now you see the context? When before we just would read this and say, oh, let's not get to that part because, you know, that part is like, oh my God, he's talking about sickness and death and uh, judgment. and Nobody wants to read that during the time of communion. And if we do, we have a little bit of an awkwardness about this. What, what can we say? Are we saying that if people didn't prepare their hearts and they came a little bit with, uh, you know, with a scatterbrained attitude, they're going to receive judgment? They might even get sick and die? We don't want to 
impose that upon the people. But now you understand the context. This wasn't that kind of context where people just walk in without having prepared their hearts. This is a context in which there was a rowdiness, there was this feasting on one corner, starvation going on on the other corner, and there was a faction going on within this body. And it was like the marketplace, you know, that Jesus saw. Remember? And he saw that the Gentiles could not even enter into the court of Gentiles because that was where they laid all these tables to sell these animals. And Jesus, you know, he purged the temple, saying, you have made this into den of robbers. When God had intended this to be the house of prayer for all nations. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So we must have this reverence for the blood of Jesus. We must have reverence for His sacrifice on the cross, the covenant He made through His body, the importance of the body of Christ who are gathered together. to partake of this communion. In verses 28 and 29, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So we must be genuine and sincere. We must be humble. We must cast down anything that is of arrogance or presumption. Anything that is inconsistent and hypocritical. Like when this is talking about Jesus and His body, we're doing or showing attitude which causes faction within the body. Then we're sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Verses 30 and 31. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is have died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. And Paul is saying such a judgment can be a serious judgment because it may result in your weakness or even sickness or even death. And he is threatening them in one sense. So what is necessary here is discernment and reverence regarding the Lord's body, so that we can be protected from a temporal judgment that may come upon us. This judgment here is not talking about the final judgment because there's no definite article here. It's just saying judgment. So we know that this is just a temporary judgment. It's more like discipline. Discipline of the Lord will come upon the Christians. And the whole idea about discipline is so that they may repent so that they may make their amends, so that they may have a change of attitude. That's the whole idea. And in verse 32, Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. That's the beauty of the judgment 
beginning with the house of the Lord. Amen? If not, we're going to receive the judgment that the world is going to receive on that day. The whole thing about judgment of God, not the final judgment, but the temporary judgment. We call it the discipline of the Father. It's so that we can become better children of God. So the Lord's Supper is meant to be a wonderful means of God's grace and blessing upon our lives. During the time of communion, it should be a source of healing and restoration, not judgment or destruction. But it's not an automatic thing. It all depends on our attitude. If we take the Lord's Supper seriously, and we are going to engage in the Lord's Supper next week, and as we come prepared, discerning, in humility, in sincerity, I believe that God's blessing will be in store for us. If not, like the Corinthians, especially the wealthy ones who are callous-minded, judgment will naturally come upon them. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts one way, it could cut across the other way. It all depends. And finally, as a conclusion, this is what Paul has to say in verse 33 and verse 34. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. The key text is this, verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters... Brothers and sisters, these, these are key words, brothers and sisters, in the body of Christ. We are one, we are family. We take care of each other, we look out for each other. These are brothers and sisters, this is not some impersonal members in the body. And he says something that sounds so simplistic, that we can Overlook this, but I think it's profound. He says, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Together. United in oneness, in fellowship. Loving, caring, honoring. We as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united through the covenant. So we must be willing to eat together. Remember, even Paul had to rebuke Peter because he was not eating together. He was separating himself with more of the Jewish line instead of the Gentile line. Or maybe we side more with the male line instead of the female line. Or maybe with the free men, but not with slaves with those who are feasting, they got plenty of food on this corner, not with those who are poor and being heavily offended by what was going on. We must show honor to our fellow believers, no matter what their status or background is, especially, I don't know, personally for me, it's, it's easier to honor the poor, honor those who are more despised. I don't know why. I think that's just my makeup. I'm more for underdogs. But usually the tendency that people have is we honor those 
from whom we can get something back. You know, there's some reward at the other end of that. But we should honor even more those who are being despised, those who lack, those who do not have. And so we need to heed Paul's rebuke in verse 22b. Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? You humiliate those who are poor in your midst, those who are of lower class, those who lack something apparently, and what you're doing is you're despising the church of God because church of God is the body of Christ and it is the very body of Christ we're commemorating when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. In other words, in the body of Christ, there is no room for parties and spirit, cliques, factions, no room for self-indulgence and privileged membership. There's no room for the wealthy getting wealthy and, and feasting on their wealth while the poor are not taken care of. That should not be. You understand in the book of Acts, right, how the early church shared everything. If they were poor in their midst, they took care of them by selling the properties and providing for those who did not have. And the widows, they took care of them. As a matter of fact, the, the office of deaconship was established to take care of the widows. The minorities and sometimes uh, those who are of the Greek origin, Greek Jews, uh, those who were mixed in their blood, they were those who were neglected the most. And just like today, we neglect those who are different from us. And we feel more comfortable with those people that, you know, we have some kind of kinship relationship with. Did you know that Chickens have the similar type of phenomenon. They, they peck at the chicken. Or, you know, I, this is what I hear. They, they peck at those who are different. So you paint a chicken with uh, their feather with some spray paint. And then they will, the rest of the chickens will come and start pecking at them. One by one, peck at them. And then peck them to death. Are we any different in the body of Christ sometimes? And this is the question that we must ask. We must do everything possible to share what we have with others. And certainly food. And if we have clothing, if we have finances, there's got to be some kind of system in place to take care of one another. So they don't go hungry like that. And this is a perfect context which centered around the Lord's Supper to make that point and how amazing and providential it is that this remains as canonical text for us. And how Paul is saying, if we do honor anybody, we should honor those who are not honored by the society. Those who are honored in the society, they're already honored. And so they come to our church and we honor them. I go to some of these mega churches and they're always introducing 
these dignitaries and all these famous politicians and celebrities, and they're the ones who get, wow, everyone's. But there are a lot of people who don't receive that honor in the society. In the church, we should honor them. We should honor them with food. We should honor them with clothes. We should honor them with whatever we can of service to them. And this is the heart that makes church unique. But if the church cannot be a prophetic significance of that, then the church has lost its edge, has lost its essence. And so we need to deeply think about this. What does it mean to be truly united in the body of Christ and to come into this covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ? What does this mean? This is a serious business, and we need to think about that. Once again, I'm going to read you this text in verse 22b. Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Let us not despise, but honor the church of God, the body of Christ, Christ himself, by honoring those who have nothing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray.